Welcome to episode 58 of Your Kids Next Read podcast, in which we talk about books and reading for kids of all ages. I'm Alison Tate, author of middle grade adventure series, The Mapmaker Chronicles, The Adaban Cipher, and my latest, The Maven and Reeve Mystery series. And I'm here with my co-host, the always entertaining Megan Daly, celebrity teacher librarian at Children's Books Daily, and author of Raising Readers, How to Nurture a Child's Love of Books. Megan and I, along with our good friend, author Alison Rushby, are founders of the Your Kids Next Read community on Facebook. Search for Your Kids Next Read there to join us. So what is occurring in the sitcom of Megan this week? I think we just go to sitcom from mm, here, don't we? I, I Look, it is a sitcom because um, I'm just doing a lot of holiday admin, a lot of appointments and catching up on things and purchasing new jeans that cover ankles and that sort of things because children keep growing. It's oh, it's exhausting, annoying. isn't it? Oh, it it's is. so expensive. It really is. Yeah, it's oh. such a lot of work. Wait but till the, you get a 15-year-old boy in your oh, life who apparently requires new pants every 35 seconds. Yeah, and shoes I've heard as well. Oh, so many shoes. That. Not oh. looking forward to it. But no. such enormous feet. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, really? Mm-hmm. I, how does it even happen? I think we should stop feeding them. I, I threaten to do that regularly. Stop growing people. Stop mm. eating all those apples. Mm. But anyway, yes, it is a bit of a sitcom this week because I had – I mean, I just have to laugh about the holidays at this point. And the funniest thing this week was that we went to the doctor for some immune therapy for one of the children who has to have injections um, regularly for a bit of immune therapy, desensitization. And the boys were wrestling in the back of the car, the uh, Kia Carnival. And I, you know, it's interesting the van. that uh, the van, van life, um, it's, I have not been used to the amount of wrestling that boys do, but we are all becoming accustomed to it. And I now realize they're not hating on each other. It's just what they do. So they were wrestling in the back of the car and I hit the button to open the car door and they tumbled out on the ground still wrestling with everybody in the car park looking at us and then the two girls who are now so used to it they kind of clambered out over the top of them on top of them and I just thought this is my life here we are here we are it's like a clown car you know you used oh. to see those old oh those old videos where like 58 yes. clowns came out of a tiny little car that's, that's, well that's you okay. so I just have lost all credibility at the doctor's surgery now as well I probably had none to be fair oh, um, I'm sure they've yeah. seen it all before babe. Oh, like I mean any anyone who's they've probably had wrestling you know competitions in their waiting room probably yeah so that's me I am a sitcom this week um, well, I, I don't have anything as physical as that to report, <laughs> but I did go to the Kids and YA Festival at Writing New South Wales, where I was on the, oh, I was on the Magic, Mystery and Mayhem um, panel with uh, R.A. Spratt, Oliver Pomavan and Kate Forsyth was the chair. Poor Kate, because, <laughs> oh, my Lord, was it heavy on the mayhem. It was just insane. Um, it was very, very funny. Um, and just, I mean, we did get some useful bits of information in there as well, but mostly it was just me sitting there. There's one photo that someone sent me. It's quite funny. Um, me sitting there and R.A. is uh, is doing, you know, her, her thing. thing. And the look on my face, I've, my mouth is dropped open. Like it's honestly, and, and this person sent me the photo that just said, caption this. And I was like, oh. 
It was just extraordinary. I think the thing that I would have to caption it with was don't tweet that, which seemed to be pretty much what I said more often than anything else. It was very, very funny. It was great. I really enjoyed it. But the whole festival was wonderful. It's a very... Um, it's a small festival, so yeah. it's you know there was about 150 people there, which makes it really intimate, and it just made everybody mingles, and you can meet people. And with the for the authors, it was like honestly, I was telling somebody, I felt like I was back at school camp, like it was oh, like that's the f- fantastic first day at school where you haven't seen anybody for the holidays, and everyone's so excited. Um, so yeah, it was just great. I really really enjoyed it, and I, I do always recommend to you know, um, emerging authors or aspiring authors that those kinds of festivals are so good to go to because not only do you get the intimacy of the smaller sessions and you get to ask your question if you want to um, and and so much brilliant information because the speaker list was fantastic. Um, but it's just that it's just that opportunity to kind of just strike up a conversation, um, mm. much more intimate than, you know, the, the bigger festivals are, uh, where you can just be sometimes overwhelmed by the numbers of people. Absolutely. Um, but just going to any of them, always worth it, just meeting all of those people. So I've got a few other things coming up. Um, and I'm really looking forward to those too. So nice to be out and about. Um, but I will share um, updates about those another time on another day. After moving from Singapore to Australia, Peijing notices the cracks in her family as they face uncertainties around every corner. Find all four quarters of the moon at your local bookstore today. Right, Megan Daly, it is time for one of our favourite segments of the week, which is the book mail. What do you have for us this week? I have got three new books, most of which are not quite out yet. So this is definite upcoming book mail. My first one is The Comet by Joe Todd Stanton. And it is a picture book aimed at an early childhood audience from Flying Eye Books. It is beautifully illustrated by the author as well. And it's this gorgeous story about Nyla and her dad, single parent family, it seems. And Nyla and her dad are moving house. They're moving to the city. But all Nyla can think about is everything she misses from her previous home. And one night a comet comes soaring through the city streets and starts to glow and grow and she can't resist following it and going on this sort of fantastical journey. And what starts as an escape from her new home becomes sort of the thing that finally makes her feel at home and it was to me reading it was just one of those moments where I thought oh I can just see so many applications for this book in the classroom and at home it's a really good one about accepting new experiences like moving to a new home or any new experience starting at a new school so just a really beautiful highly recommended one and something that of course gets explored in picture books quite often that idea of new experiences but I love the way each author illustrator has their own take on it so I really really enjoyed that one by Joe Todd Stanton and then NADOT week is coming up and NADOT week is a time to celebrate and recognize the history culture and achievements of Australia's First Nations people Um, and it's NADOT week right now yes yes it is and so I'm going to put in the show notes the link to the NADOT week and I'm assuming lots of school libraries Um, like my own, are celebrating NADOT Week now. And so I've got two books that I thought I would also share. The first one is The Shop Train by Josie Willola-Boyle and illustrated by Paul Sidan. Now, this one has many, many teacher librarians out there will know Tea and Sugar Christmas by Jane Jolly, which was a picture book, is a picture book, which many of us use in school.
libraries. This one is by Magabala Books, um, a wonderful First Nations publisher, and it is just amazing. It's the similar story as in Tea and Sugar Christmas about the tea and sugar train that operated from 1917, providing supplies and services for rail workers and people living in remote communities between South Australia and Western Australia. And the shop train is a really gorgeous story about Rosie and her mum and the journey their old car takes to pick up stores from the shop train, which um, carries everything they need, groceries and supplies. And it's got, it's beautifully illustrated and it's just got this lovely, lovely story. And it was inspired by journeys that the author, Josie Willola Boyle, took as a young girl. Um, And it's got some great teacher's notes, which I will also link in the show notes. And then I have got the most beautiful publication by Jasmine Seymour, who, of course, is the award-winning creator of Baby Business, which came out in 2019, and Kui Mitiga, which came out in 2019 as well. um, Jasmine Seymour has done the Children's Book Council of Australia artwork for Book Week this year Mm. coming up, and I I have just got this week my package of merchandise from the Children's Book Council of Australia and the merchandise, and then this book arrived on the same day. The book is called Open Your Heart to Country. And I realised that all of the CBCA merchandise this year is based on this book. So highly recommended. Act, you know, Actually, it's a must-have book for school libraries. It's called Open Your Heart to Country. It's by Jasmine Seymour, and it's about welcoming home lost children. Um, the land is singing people back home, listening to language, immersing you in song. It is the most evocative artwork. It's collage style illustrations, which puts the reader really amongst the nature. Um, It's got this beautiful, soft, lilting text. It will resonate with young children, but it will also share an incredibly deep message with older children and adults. This is very much, you know, it's an, like I said, it's a must-have book. It's told in English and Darug. Um, it's a really moving account of reconnection to country from a First Nations perspective. So absolute must-have. Fantastic. What have you got there? Well, speaking of NAIDOC Week, I've also got an absolutely stunning picture book here. It's a picture book for older readers, uh, seven plus up to, you know, teenagers. It's um, So it's one for for all your upper primary and high school libraries. Um, it's called Lua Tara Lua Waper by Dave Mangena Goff and illustrated by Samantha Campbell. It's published by Aboriginal Studies Press and it's actually launching this week during NAIDOC mm-hmm. week. Um, the story includes Palawa, which is Tasmanian Aboriginal language words. There is even a QR code so you can hear the author read his story. And I probably should have done that before I you know, made a mess of pronouncing some of these things. So my apologies because um, that's my bag. I, I, I'm not as prepared as I should have been. Um, It is an evocative story drawn from the personal experience of celebrated artist, curator and cultural practitioner, Dave Mangenagoff. And it is about a a story of from boy to man, a story of courage Mm -hmm. and transformation. Um, I'll read you the back. Uh, Lua Tara Lua Waipa, three kangaroos, three Tasmanian Aboriginal men. Nayakara is leaving the village to hunt Tara, kangaroo. On his mind is the chief's daughter, Tumanana, who is at the water with the women, collecting shells and working. But down on the beach, Nayakara hears three thuds. Boom, boom, 
boom. With rhythmic intensity, Lua Tara Lua Waper tells the captivating story of Nayakara's journey from boy to man, a story of courage a story of courage and transformation and it's lovely like it's a very wordy picture book which is why you know it's definitely upper um upper primary um and into teens it's got stunning illustrations throughout and i do think it's one of those ones that would be um really excellent for um use in classrooms use for nadoc greek or just use for reading like it's mm. it's a it's a lovely lovely story so i think um oh you you need to go directly to the aboriginal stories press to purchase this one um and that's at we'll put the link in the show notes but it's at aiatsis.gov.au um but i love the use of language throughout I, it, mm. I think language is, you know, that I'm loving the sort of, I'm loving watching the language come back, that kind of re, re sort of gathering of that language. Because if you don't have language, you know, the stories language are lost. Is, yeah, that's right. And so many of those books now are doing those QR codes, aren't they? And yeah. I find them incredibly helpful. I love reading the book first um, and then listening to it's told in language as well. It's been really powerful in in my situation as a school teach librarian. Um, we spoke about one a couple of weeks ago that oh, with the Desert Weavers that also had a QR yeah. code. And that li- being able to listen to it in language is incredibly powerful. I agree. Um, and then switching gears entirely, my other bit of book mail this week is uh, Rita's Revenge by Leon Tanner, um, the award-winning author of A Clue for Clara. And I think we talked about that uh, probably last year didn't Mm -hmm. we and how much we loved it so Clara was a detective you know chicken and it was a the book was you know told in that sort of first person diary sort of format and Rita's Revenge is also told in a similar format but it is from the perspective of a duck called Rita poet (laughs) uh, outcast and duck Um, and I'll just read you the back of the story Um, Chasing cows and pigs, mockery, rude songs, piracy, warfare, and general thuggery. This is the list of approved duck activities, and it does not include poetry. The ducks of Little Dismal are angry. A scruffy chicken called Clara has been telling lies about them. They need revenge. Enter Rita, a duck with the soul of a poet. After an embarrassing talent night, she sees revenge on Clara as a chance to restore her reputation. But Rita finds more than revenge. She uncovers a dastardly plan to chooknap Clara that will take them both a long way from home. So the voice of these books, the voices, because they are two different voices, but they are just delightful. And it's so funny. It's got little illustrations throughout. Um, and I know that, you know, A Clue for Clara was a huge success um, among middle grade readers. And I think that Rita's Revenge is going to be uh, just as much of a success, would you not say? Absolutely. Yeah. No, Leanne Tanner doesn't put a foot wrong. No, she does not. Um, all right. That was our book mail for this week. Australia's favourite maths teacher and best-selling author, Eddie Wu, is back with two code-cracking mysteries filled with puzzling clues and daring escapades. Perfect for middle-grade mystery lovers, Eddie's new adventure books, Time Out and Team Trouble, are out now. Find out more at panmcmillan.com.au. Well, Megan, I have got a very, very exciting bingo for you this week. Now, generally speaking, our bingo questions are the questions that come up over and over again in the Your Kids Next Read community. But every once in a while, we like to fling in 
a little surprise interview for you. And this week, we are spending 10 minutes with the wonderful Shirley Ma. Now, Shirley Ma is an award-winning children's author and a first-generation Chinese-Australian living in sunny Perth. Her titles are All Four Quarters of the Moon, which is her newest one, A Glass House of Stars, which is currently shortlisted for the 2022 CBCA Book of the Year for Younger Readers, plus three YA novels, Little Jiang, Preloved and Fury. And I got to spend a wonderful 10 minutes with Shirley Ma, and now you get to listen in to our chat. So Shirley Ma, welcome to your Kids Next Read podcast and tell us all about your brand new novel, All Four Quarters of the Moon. Thanks for having me on your show today, Alison. My book, All Four Quarters of the Moon, is a story about two sisters and they're moving with their family to Australia. So it's a new experience for them. And as a way of coping with this brand new world they're coming to, they invent like little stories and their own little world. So it's like a story within a story and it just follows their sweet little adventures and some of the challenges that they come across as well with their migration. So you would say that it's a middle grade novel? Yes, middle grade. So I would recommend for uh, years like eight-year-olds and upwards, like confident readers. Okay. And where did the idea for the novel come from? Um, It's actually based on my own story of growing up with my sister and doing these things with her and having to migrate to Australia with our parents. And um, so after writing Glass House, which was a little bit... On, on the sad side, I, I wanted to dig deep within me and find, like, the joy. And um, as soon as I started thinking about that, I thought about all the stories that me and my sister had, like, in my memory. So I thought, you know, that's what I want to write about. So I started writing that. And before I knew it, I had, like, a whole book. <laughs> and, like, so many stories that I could have gone on for, like, twice as long. And the novel's pretty thick as it is, but I reckon I could have just done a sequel because there were just so many stories there and there's so many funny things as well. Had you had you and your sister written down the stories that you kind of used to tell each other or was it something that you just sort of drew on all of your memories for? Uh, I drew on my memories and what we did was a lot of like because we'd come to Australia we couldn't quite write yep yet we're still learning English so we were still at that point talking to each other in Chinese and sort of like inventing our own stories and telling each other like this sort of oral storytelling tradition and it became just our thing and we created a world and we also like made little paper animals and little worlds as well to go with this. So it was something that was ours to help us sort of like, you know, cope with our new environment. How beautiful. And I think that that bond between sisters is such a lovely thing to explore through literature, isn't it? Like I, did you, like, 
do, when you're drawing on your own experiences, and, and you also did this with The Glass House of Stars, which is your previous novel, um, which was shortlisted or is shortlisted for the 2022 CBCA Book of the Year Award for Younger Readers, and which Megan loves and talks about a lot. Um, so you're drawing on your own experiences um, for these novels. Is, is, it, is it difficult to take such personal things, such personal stories, you know, creating your own worlds and things like that, and, and turning them into sort of like a, a universal story? Is that hard? Um, it feels in a way very personal because it feels like you're writing little diary entries almost. But um, I feel that within those stories that I'm retelling, there's something very important to do with like empathy and relationships and friendships and just bonding and family. I think they're lots of important nuances in there that I think is important to share out in the world. So that's what I've done. You're taking it to a wider audience. You're taking your personal experiences to a wider audience in the hopes that they might start to understand them better. Is that what you would say? And that they might feel a connection to how they feel about themselves and their own situation. Yeah. And I think that's important, that bond between reader and writer. Definitely. Um, you're also visiting places, though, that I feel must have been quite hurtful as a child, some of the things, you know, that happen. Um, and, you know, those experiences of starting school when you don't really understand the language or the culture. Um, Self-examining those sort of as an adult, does the distance of time make it easier or more difficult for you to kind of work through those things? I think the answer is a little bit of both. Like it's never pleasant to try and recall an experience, especially when you're young and it stays in your mind for a long time and it still might have impact on you. So it's mm. always hard to draw on those experiences. But at the same time, um, I like to see storytelling as like windows and sliding doors and sort of opening that door and saying, come in, I've got a story to share with you. And by me doing so, maybe you might, have a bigger understanding of my world, your world, and the whole world in general. So um, I know it's not always a pleasant thing to do, but I feel that like it's something important that I must do. It's a lovely way of looking at it too, that idea of sliding doors and windows and, you know, yeah. showing people certain, I mean, because I guess you, you, are, you are showing a personal experience. You're not showing the whole of it. You're showing what sort of you know serves the story that you're telling and the the characters that you've created so does I'd imagine that would possibly help as well a little bit yes so everything is sort of wrapped up there's stories within stories within stories so in a way it feels like I'm in a safe space to tell these yeah so I feel I can beautiful so A Glass House of Stars was written in second person, which is an unusual point of view, um, while All Four Quarters of the Moon is written in third person. How, how do you decide the point of view? Is it, some, is, it a, is it a conscious choice as a writer or is it just sort of how the story and the characters present themselves? I think it's a little bit of both. Like I allow the muse to take me where she wants to take me, but then I have to think about now what story am I trying to tell and what's the best way of telling it? With Glass House, I felt I needed to use a second voice in order to take the reader through my shoes and my eyes and just see how things were 
mm. as a young immigrant child and, and what it's like to live through those eyes. But with um, Four Quarters of the Moon, because it's a story about two sisters, I felt it needed, that lens needed to pull back. Yeah. So that you kind of see the whole stage. And you see these two sisters in the middle presenting their story. And in a way, um, it feels like this story feels like a sort of like a classic play or something because I've structured it into four parts, according yep. to four quarters of the moon. So where they begin and where they end is like a full cycle. So I've drawn on that metaphor and for me, third person just felt right for that story. So now that I'm sort of sitting here talking to you, because we've never actually spoken before, like, you know, you see people on online and you see their books and um, your your novels are often described as warm. And when I hear you talk, I can see why, because you sort of got that warmth about the way that you view the writing and the way that you view the story. But is there is there a sort of a secret, do you think, as a writer to creating warmth in a voice and a world? Thank you for that. That is a, a marvellous compliment. <laughs> uh, I, I think, okay, this may sound like a cliche, but it's very true. I believe that if you write with your heart, that that sense of warmth will be imparted into your writing. I think when you look at a scene, if you decide, okay, I want this character to have like a happy scene, if you try and just find the words to express that or try to make the reader feel that, I don't think that's necessarily as strong as if you say to yourself, look, while I'm writing it, I have to feel it too. And if this is not making me smile, this is not making me happy, then I haven't quite done the job. So that's, that's, how, I, that's how I write with, with, all, with all my emotions, my heart and everything. So if I'm not laughing or I'm not crying, I think mm, you're not doing it right. I love the idea of that too. Like, I guess, you know, like I, I, I don't know that I've ever actually sat back and, and I, I would actually not really like to see footage of myself writing. I'm sure I look like slightly um, out of this world, but I, I, I know what you're talking about because if you are writing a joyous scene, you are generally feeling that big smile on your face as you're doing it. So I, I get what you're, what you're saying with that. Um, so let's get to the last question, which I like to ask uh, all of our 10-minute uh, interview uh, ease, the people in the hot seat. What, what is your favourite middle grade read, um, you know, so far this year? What have you read um, by someone else that's really kind of, you know, captured your attention or your heart or your engagement? Okay. So this book isn't out until October of this year, but I was like to get an arc of it. And it's called A Girl Called Corpse by ah, Rick Carter. And I've heard about this one. And you're loving it, are you? This book is marvellous. By far the best middle grade that I've read this year. Wow. It's, it's about a girl made out of wax and it's got witches and graveyards and it's really, really spooky. And um, I describe it as a book, what, what a book would be like if Tim Burton and Neil Gaiman had a baby. It would be, <laughs> and I love it so much. Well, that's quite a wrap. So thanks very much for sharing that one. So that, that's coming out. That's a girl called Corpse um, coming out in October this year. Just in time for Halloween. Oh, perfect, of course. All right, well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Shirley. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your books? 
Um, you can find me online at shirleymar.net. And I'm also quite active on Instagram. So hit me up on there. What's your handle on Instagram, Shirley? It's Shirley on Mars. Which I really like. <laughs> I love it when people have have interesting handles. Well, thank you very much and all the best with all four quarters of the moon. And of course, all the best um, for the big CBCA announcement uh, later this year for A Glass House of Stars, which is shortlisted for younger readers. And we will hopefully be talking to you again at another time with your third book. (laughs) Thanks so much, Alison, for having me. It's been a blast. So, Megan Daly, how great was that? Really, really interesting. Yeah, I look, it's such a great chat. And I loved her whole analogy about storytelling being sort of Mm. sliding doors and windows. Yeah. Just so, you know, I mean, 10 minutes, you can get into some seriously good stuff in 10 minutes. And I found it um, interesting that Shirley's recommended read is A Girl Called Corpse because we are hearing a lot about that one. Um, Mm. I'm seeing a lot of buzz about it. It's out a little bit later this year. Um, We don't have copies as yet, just putting that out there. (laughs) Um, But I'm very much looking forward to reading it because everyone that I've spoken to who has read it has, you know, really given it a big thumbs up. You you haven't seen anything yet, have you? I have not, no. Mm. Oh, well, we'll be waiting. Um, in the meantime, though, I believe you have some quick tips for us. I do. So in our Your Kids Next Read Facebook group, somebody recently asked about um, novels and high-quality picture books to create sets to be used in book clubs and teacher group sessions because they had been given some money to spend on books. Mm. And there's a bit of discussion in the group about um, and some recommendations about what makes a good set for class reads and book clubs and so I just thought I'd give a few tips on that Um, I think it's really important to have a look I find certainly when teachers ask me to recommend a book for a class set or for a book club I talk about a couple of things I like the genre to be fairly specific and fairly simple, if that makes sense. So, for example, our year threes are looking at, they're doing a poetry unit and they're looking for a class novel. So I've suggested, obviously, a verse novel because that is um, in the genre. And a verse novel is also a really good one for upper primary or middle primaries to use because they are very short. They still have that beautiful narrative structure, but you can get through them at a fairly fast pace. You have to have something that's not too dense and not too just darned big because (laughs) you've got to get through the book and that's really tricky in a school situation because you want something that is still rich and has beautiful rich vocab and really good language um, but you want it to be short so if you could just keep your your books a bit well edited people that'd be great Um, so you don't want something too dense something too long Fantasy can be a little bit problematic because fantasy can be a little bit polarising. Children often really um, love fantasy or they really despise fantasy. Adventure, on the other hand, is very good, Um, but you don't want something sometimes that might be a little bit divisive like fantasy. I feel a little bit the same about history. I always think history books can be a little bit problematic in particularly a primary school setting because sometimes for, say, a World War II book or, you know, any really um, historical book that's set in a time period, unless you're studying that time period, perhaps as part of a Hass unit, 
um, there can be a lot of pre-work that needs to go on in order for young people to understand the context of the book. Mm. So sometimes I think steering away from history, unless you specifically want something for a house unit, um, I think can be uh, a good idea. So I like some of the um, more recent publications like My Brother Ben by Peter Canavis. I like Wednesday Weeks because I like the science element to it. It will appeal to your sciencey kids, but it's also got a strong narrative. I think it's important also to look at um, the gender of the protagonists as well and make sure you've got a bit of a balance. So mm. Pat and, and then Pax is another one that I'm going to recommend and was recommended in the group. And I think that an animal can be a really good, um, an animal protagonist can be quite good in a class novel or a book club read. A Little Wave by Pip Harry is a verse novel which um, is often done in about grade five, six, and I think it's a fantastic one for a class novel. Uh, we've got some extra copies of A Glass House of Stars. I think that one's got some real um, qualities of a book club read and also for an extension English group, for example. Bindi by Curly Saunders and Dub Leffler is one that's done in a lot of grade five, six classrooms. Vincent and the Grandest Hotel on Earth by Lisa Nicole. Lisa Nicole is really good as well. A lot of people study um, Sam Wheeler's books like Turtle Trackers and Smooch and Rose, all of her books in that animal series. They've got a really nice, um, I'm going to say simple, it's not a simple narrative, but it's just a fairly um, standard narrative and there's a lot of environmental themes in them which are really good for ticking off some um, areas of sustainability in the curriculum and working with those. Pie in the Sky and others by Remy Lai are quite good because they are a, a hybrid graphic novel and novel. So you've got you've got a bit of a lot of engagement actually with the illustrations, which can pull some of your reluctant readers through. But you've also got some really rich language in the narrative. Um, and then I also really like As Fast as I Can by Penny Tanji. So that's just a couple of suggestions from me. But just I guess my quick tips are nothing too divisive nothing too long um, and probably steer away from ones that require a fair amount of pre-knowledge in order for your whole group to understand them. It's not easy though, is it? Like I can see why a lot of teachers, you know, might just have having hit upon a class novel 10 years ago, might just continue to use that, you know, every single year because okay, you have yes. to give so much thought mm -hmm. to it, don't you? You do, but I'm just going to get on my soapbox there for okay, a second. Okay, I, I knew that that would get <sighs> you up there. Controversial. I get really frustrated when I see that happen and it's not 10 years ago, Al. Sometimes as educators we choose books um, for study in class that we read when we were at school mm. 30 years ago. Mm. And whilst they may have rich language and have been very engaging at a point in time, um, I think that we owe it to the young people of today to find novels which are and picture books which are current, which are written in language accessible to them, which have got good representations of diversity. I think that um, we have to work hard to find good current novels, contemporary novels and picture books. And this is where things like the Your Kids Next Read group and our podcast and my website and all of the things that we do come into play. Teachers don't have the time. This is part of the reason we do the podcast. That's right. Exactly. And that, that that's one of the things I love. I love it when I see people asking those kinds of questions in Your mm. Kids Next Read because, mm. you know. That's it, why we're there. We have such a huge range of members um, who, mm. you know, all bring something different to it and it's it's brilliant to see 
um, to see that kind of engagement around this stuff. I do feel as though we need to do a list them now that we're having this conversation. So that might be something oh, we can work towards. Oh, I know it's very tricky. I, you know, it's very tricky. I don't like to lock people in, and I no, love no, no, but suggestions. You know, suggestions. I know suggestions are good. Suggestions are good. <laughs> anyway, speaking of suggestions. Um, my quick tip for this week is all about reading widely. They sort of go together quite well here and we I just do. didn't even plan that at all. Um, so the reason that I am bringing that up this week is that I've written a blog post for the Australian Writers' Centre for writers um, because what often happens is, and, you know, often in the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast, for instance, we would ask, you know, every single time I interviewed somebody, I would say, give us your top three tips for writers. And I reckon two out of every three people would start with read and then read widely, um, which I think, you know, is a great tip. It's one of those, it's mm. an absolute given and it's so important. But what does it actually mean? Like if you say to someone you need to read widely, does that mean if you're going to, you know, write crime fiction, you should just read as many crime novels as you can? Um, does it mean that if you're going to write literary fiction, you should just like work your way through that section of the of the library? Um, because I think, you know, you can read why you can read widely across a, a genre or a, a section of the bookshelf, but mm. then reading widely also means you need to go up and down those bookshelves as well. Um, so we talk a lot, um, or I, I like to talk a lot about the fact that it's important it to read a diverse range of authors, a diverse range of, you know, of, um, of writing styles, a diverse range of genres. So reading widely means taking yourself out of your comfort zone and into new territory. It means reading poetry, nonfiction, romance novels, fantasy novels, speeches, literary fiction, children's fiction, short stories, novellas, memoir, biography, you know, uh, nonfiction, like history, whatever. Um, because, and one of the reasons I say that um, with regards to writing is because two things, you never ever know where your next idea is going to come from. And it might come from the dusty old book about, you know, train timetables, you mm. never know. Um, and you also, by taking in all of those different, you know, voices and all of those different ideas and all of those different words. Um, I work off a words in equals words out sort of um, idea with writing. And so it's it's important to expose yourself to new writing styles and craft skills, you know, discovering the tiny facts in those in that train timetable book that might spark an entirely new story and allowing yourself to kind of like drift into epic stories and and worlds that you know fantasy writers create learn how they use those tiny details to build their worlds so we're talking about this here in your kids next read because this this is important for kids too it is and we very. have spoken about this you know At in the past and i just wanted to explain exactly what it means what it it's means. not just reading lots and lots of books it's reading lots and lots of different types of books and different types of authors and not just sticking to to one style but reading you know a diverse range of thoughts and ideas and writing styles um so that's my quick tip for this week mm, that's a great one i really like that i'll put a link in the show notes to the actual article so you can see the whole thing mm -hmm. All right, that's us. That's us done for this week. Um, my week this week is going to be all about school holidays and I'm actually writing, I'm actually writing 
a lot at the moment, which brilliant. is great. I don't know if it's all good. Well, I don't know if it's all brilliant, but I am <laughs> writing a lot and I'm hoping that something might come of that. I'm also, of course, doing my tax because that's the other thing that mm -hmm. one does, you know, in the first week of the new financial year. Actually, that's not true. I just start thinking about what I need to start pulling together. And then by about October, mm. I'll, probably, I'll probably be all ready for that. Um, what about you? What are you up to this week? I'm going to go on a really long walk after we finished recording because I signed up um, for the Coast Trek, which is a 30k walk. Um, and then, I, what? Mm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like what? Well, I. This is the first I've heard of this. When is the walk? About seven to ten days away. Oh um, no! Anyway, stop it. <laughs> look, it's going to be fine. I, I, I. I fine. It's just fine. I I really need to do some physical activity. I thought this would spur me on. Then I got influenza A and a terrible cough. And so it's really only been this week that I've gone, right, it is time to walk. I went on a long walk the other day. I actually walked nine Ks to school. Then I developed a bit of a foot condition. And now I'm going to the podiatrist <laughs> to sort out the foot condition. But I'm pretty sure the podiatrist will work wonders. And I will be just peachy to work walk 30 k's in seven to ten days so i will pop the limp link in the show notes if you would like to sponsor me um, oh you're honestly like you're the most optimistic person i know like there's just like you don't even have time for this no i do not <laughs> to be fair i do not have time will the kia carnival follow you along behind in case oh. of disaster Oh my gosh. I, I, I was wondering what happens if you get 20K in and think, nah, the foot's given up on me. I, I don't know. Do you get an Uber? I don't know. I'll tell you. Oh, please, please sponsor Megan. I feel like she's going to need all the help she can get to get through this. Um, all right. So when you're not walking, where will we find you online? Oh, you'll find me at childrensbooksdaily.com. You will find me at childrensbooksdaily on Instagram and Facebook. And you will find me at Daily Reads at Twitter. And you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me at Al Tate on Twitter, Alison Tate Writer on Instagram and Facebook. And you will find us both, of course, in the Your Kids Next Read community on Facebook. And we hope that we will see you there. But in the meantime, we will see you next time. See you later.